A happy New Year, OCC. 2021 is finally here. Woo! Right? You excited? I hope you're having a great year so far. It's only been a couple days, so I hope those couple days have been good for you. Hey, wouldn't it be great if 2021 was maybe your best year yet? Wouldn't it be great if 2021 were an awesome year? Well, what would that take for you? What would it take for you to have an awesome, awesome year? Let's make that a little bigger. What would it take for you to have an awesome life? Would it mean notoriety and success? Would it mean great relationships with family and friends? Would it mean abundance? What would it take for life to be awesome? Would it mean retiring early? Or maybe just getting some relaxation time often? Maybe, maybe it would be having an incredible skill or a phenomenal experience from time to time. What would make life awesome for you? Well, we're kicking off a series today called Make It Awesome. And our hope in this series is to explore some spiritual habits that will enable all of us to live an awesome life, to make each day awesome. Now, for us to do that, there's a variety of spiritual habits that we're going to, in, uh, to encounter and explore. But I'm guessing that if you were to list the things that would make life awesome, Things that you would not include on the list would be things like disease, loneliness, torture, kidnapping, capture, being abandoned and disowned by family and friends, being ostracized by a church. I'm guessing those things would not rank very high on the list for many of us if we were looking at having an awesome life. But that's exactly what a guy named Bruce Olson encountered. Back in the late 50s, late 1950s, Bruce was a teenager up in the Twin Cities. And he had gone to church most of his life at that point. But he began reading his Bible more and more. And in the pages of the Bible, he met Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus there, in a fresh way, as a teenager, he gave his life to Christ. But his story takes an odd turn. His church did not acknowledge his new conversion. In fact, his minister laughed in his face. And his parents, who had encouraged church attendance, became upset and frowned upon his newfound conversion. But that didn't deter Bruce. He continued to study the Bible. He continued to examine the pages of Scripture and to look at God there. And he, in his pursuit of Jesus, Bruce pursued two other passions— as he was examining the Christian faith, he found out about world missions, and he began exploring what God was doing in other parts of the world. And he became specifically uh, interested in the area of Colombia and Venezuela, the border area between those two countries. And he began learning about the peoples there and how they needed Jesus. But his passion for language also grew more and more. Bruce was a gifted linguist, even at an early age. By the time he was 19... He was as well acquainted as anyone could be with Greek, Hebrew, Latin, Sanskrit, and English. And so Bruce wanted to be a linguistics teacher, a professor at a university someday. But God kept putting these people called the Matalones, who were native of the area between Colombia and Venezuela, kept putting them on his heart. And so he kept pursuing that calling as a missionary. And then... Bruce decided that he just couldn't shake the call. So at 19 years old, he dropped out of college, 
bought a one-way ticket to Venezuela and landed in Venezuela with $70 to his name. Ostracized by his church, laughed at by friends and family, dismissed by missions organizations, Bruce went there alone with no contacts and nothing set up. And unfortunately for Bruce, his first couple years in that country, pardon me, were less than stellar, less than what he would hope for and less than what he had anticipated. When he got there, he realized that of all the languages he'd learned, He hadn't learned the one most important to go into South America. He didn't know how to speak Spanish, so he had to learn another language. Now, for Bruce, that came fairly easily. But he also ended up in that place without any other people, and it was a disappointing detour for him from his mission. He he bought some supplies, and he ventured into the jungle to go reach the Matalone Indians, this Stone Age savage people who he'd heard about, people who had captured his attention, his imagination, and his compassion. But those were failed attempts. He nearly died several times, disease and injury and being poisoned by things in the jungle, so he had to come back out of the jungle. And then he faced the communist revolution that was going on there and all the revolt and the discord happening, and he had to watch for himself and and guard his life during that season. So here he is, this young 19-year-old guy in a foreign country, no money, nothing really going in his favor, and Worst of all, he hasn't even encountered the people that he went there to reach for Jesus. Now that probably doesn't sound much like an awesome life to you, does it? It it doesn't sound that great to me. It doesn't sound like something I want to sign up for. If you're asking, you know, if, if we were to ask who in here wants to volunteer to go to another place and face all those things, I doubt many of us are going to sign up. I probably would not sign up for a trip like that. So why did Bruce go? More importantly, why did he stay? Well, why did Bruce stay once he got there? He, he was smart enough. He could have learned language. He could have gotten more than 70 bucks, bought a ticket, and flown back to the States. Why did he eventually venture into the jungle again? I mean, Bruce was a brilliant guy. He, he, by all accounts, he could have been successful, super successful here in the States, especially during that time in history. With his giftedness, with his brilliant mind, he could have had money, he could have had notoriety, he could have had the comfortable job and a comfortable life and a safe life. So why did he walk away from all of that to walk into a jungle in South America? Well, it wasn't a sense of adventure or adrenaline. Bruce actually wasn't much for that. He actually was the guy who was a Boy Scout flunk out. He would sneak out of the Boy Scout meetings as a kid because he didn't like the adventure. It wasn't just a misguided sense of bad judgment, at least not according to Bruce. You see, for Bruce, when he encountered Jesus as a teenager, it changed his life, radically changed his life. It changed the way he saw God, and that changed the way he saw everything and everyone else, including himself. It changed Bruce's perspective on everything. And as he continued to study the scriptures and read the Bible, passages like Psalm 90 sinked into his soul. He he read this passage. 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. For all those who are getting closer to that 70 or 80 mark, that feels more and more real, doesn't it? I'm only in my 40s, but I still feel the brevity of life coming at us. And that pain and trouble, we all know that well. Even the best years are not years absent of pain and trouble. 
It says, who can comprehend the power of God's anger? God's wrath is as awesome as the fear he deserves. And this is a good verse to tuck away in your soul. A good verse to memorize for each of us. He says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to realize the brevity of life, that this life really is not as long as we sometimes might think it is. Oh Lord, come back to us, the psalmist says. How long will you delay? Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. You want to sing for joy to the end of your life? Don't look for satisfaction in the things of this world. Be satisfied with the unfailing love of God. That verse seeped into his soul. It changed Bruce's life. He realized that for his life to matter, he only had a limited amount of time to do something significant with his time. Bruce lived out this old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Eternity got into a soul. As Bruce continued to study the scriptures, he, he came across 1 John chapter 2. And this passage changed his perspective. It says, don't love this world nor the things it offers you. This is John, the friend of Jesus, writing this. Don't love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. And it offers us pride in our achievements and possessions. But these are not from God the Father. They're from this world. And this world is fading away. It's a brief existence we have along with everything that people crave. Notices, notice it says that we crave these things, but we're not satisfied by those things. There's no lasting satisfaction from those. But, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You wanna have an amazing life? Seek out the things that please God. And it won't just be an amazing life here, but it'll be an amazing life forever. I'm struck at times when I hear of the persecution that Christians in other places experience. And usually for us American Christians, when we encounter the persecution of Christians in other places, our initial reaction is shock and sorrow. We feel bad that they are enduring things that are so hard to fathom. Things like being thrown into jail because you believe in Jesus or being tortured because you follow Jesus, being ostracized from family and from your, your society, all because you believe in Jesus, facing harsh persecutions, financial problems, because you believe in Jesus. But normally when those believers who are encountering those things, when they hear about us, they don't ask us to pray for their persecution to stop Rather, they ask us to pray for them to be able to endure the persecution. Because they realize that persecution is actually what strengthens their own faith. And it's what puts meat to their witness. It it makes what they're talking about real to the people they're trying to reach for Jesus. Friend, do you know what's more dangerous to us than persecution? What's more dangerous than persecution is seduction. To be seduced by the things of this world. 
to be seduced by a comfortable life and a pleasant existence. I fear that too many of us too often are too easily lulled into a spiritual slumber by the comforts that surround us. And because of that, it becomes quite easy for us to be apathetic to the things that matter most. We we begin being lulled to sleep by those things. But listen, if you want to have an awesome life, if you want to make life awesome, then that means we got to get our perspective off of the things of this world like John was writing about. We, we got to turn our gaze to something else. You see, life starts to turn towards awesome when we focus on our Savior instead of our circumstances or our surroundings or even our successes. Life begins to turn towards awesome when we focus on Jesus. And awesome life begins with beholding God and seeing him for who he is, seeing him in all his grandeur, in all his beauty, in all his awesomeness, seeing God in his power, recognizing that he is the one, he's the one who hangs the stars in the heavens. He's the one who sets the planets on their path and guides them along. He is the one who swirls the ocean's currents. He is the one who holds the fiery sun in the palm of his hands. He is the one who paints the peacock's feathers. He's the one who orchestrates the song of the sparrow and the starling. He's the one who breathes life into everything that exists, including you and me. He's the one who shakes the earth at its foundations and parts the waters for his people. He's the one who allows the blind to see and the mute to sing. He's the one who makes the lame walk. He's the one who offers healing to the hurting and salvation to the surrendered. He's the one who has come to redeem and restore because he has the power to conquer death. And he is the one, the only one, who sits enthroned in majesty and glory and power and awesomeness on the throne in heaven from eternity past to eternity future. And when we see him for who he is, then we begin to see everything else with the right perspective. When we see him for who he is, we can't help but be captivated by his awesomeness. And then to see ourselves the right way as sons and daughters in the Most High, as people in need of a Redeemer who've been offered redemption through Jesus. We begin to see the world for what it really is. It doesn't mean it's bad. We just see that even with all the beauty, all the, all the awesomeness this world might have for us, all the great experiences, that that is just a shadow, just a foretaste of the world to come for those whose hope is in Jesus. That this is just a shadow. See, when we get in the presence of God, we get eternity into our hearts. When we take time to slow ourselves and stop ourselves and and get with God, then we get eternity into our hearts. He seeps in and that begins to change us and refine us. That begins to do something different within us when we get eternity in our hearts. See, this this is our first spiritual habit. This is how we need to begin the year, is to begin to live with an eternal perspective, living not for this world, but living for the things of eternity.
we, we realize the truth of Psalm 90, that this life is brief. And we realize that there is something greater to live for, someone greater to live for, someone who is worthy of all our life, of all our effort, of all our energy, that there is a cause greater to our, than ourselves, that, that if we are to have a life that we'd say is awesome, it's a life that's spent in something beyond us, grander than us, bigger than us. And it does not mean that we become insignificant. That's where we find our deepest significance is wrapped up in that grander, greater life. See, my life and your life are to be given with urgency to something bigger than you and me alone. That's the key to an awesome life. That was the key for Bruce. Eternity got into his soul and he couldn't shake it. Can I tell you a little bit more of Bruce's story? There's Bruce, this young man with all this linguistic knowledge, but he hasn't reached the people he's gone to Venezuela to reach. So he ventures back into the jungle yet again. His donkey, that's his companion, carrying all of his supplies, knocks him off at one point, kicks him in the chest and leaves. Bruce faces again and again this pain and this challenge Again and again, he faces malaria and other diseases and being poisoned by plants and animals in the jungle by facing wild animals again and again. All these crazy things happen, nearly dying. Over the next few years, he would face such terrible things as watching his fiance die and his best friend die. But yet, Bruce trekked on. At one point, a spear ripped through his thigh. And he became captive to the one who flung that spear at him. But then he realized it was a model lone Indian. The people he'd gone there to reach. So there he is in this hut, sick and dying by the very people he'd gone there to reach with the gospel. But yet God sustained him. And so in this hut, he begins listening to them and watching them and observing them and praying for them. And he begins to listen to their language. And he's so hungry. And so he begins to watch how they interact when they're handing each other bananas. And so he says the word for banana and they bring him a stone. So he says the word for banana another time. They bring him a stone. And then he pinched his nose and said the word for banana and they brought him a banana. Oh, their language is tonal. And if you're not familiar with the tonal language, they are very difficult for most people to learn, very difficult for a person like me to learn. But Bruce began listening and learning and being the brilliant linguistic he is, he began creating an alphabet for them, learning their words and putting their words into writing. And then he taught them to read and to write in their own alphabet. And he began becoming a friend to them and he began helping them and, and helping them with medical knowledge he had. And so here he is as this young man teaching these people to read and write their own language. And then he introduced them to Jesus. Every single one of them. And Bruce still today lives in the jungle with the Madalones. He went there in 1961 and he's still there. And the Madalones, well, Bruce has not only helped them read and write, not only helped them learn about Jesus, but he's also set up schools 
and trade schools and health clinics. And several model loans have gone on to college and then have gone on to post-collegiate work. And several of them have earned their PhDs. And several of them have sat in the highest rankings of the government to help with things in the nation of Colombia. Bruce himself has become a friend to every president from that time until now in Colombia. He has stood before the United Nations more than once. Bruce has, has done these incredible things that the model loans now have become missionaries to at least 18 other tribes around them. And to become missionaries to those tribes, each tribe had its own language. So yeah, Bruce went ahead and learned their language. He created alphabets and created language for them and created words for them and, and introduced those people to Jesus, all to make inroads for the gospel. After 30 years in the jungle, Bruce was kidnapped by a band of native rebels, a guerrilla warfare kind of gang who wanted political power. And so they held him captive for nearly a year, each day telling him that it was probably going to be his last, that they were probably going to kill him if he did not help them out with his political power. Bruce resisted, but he began realizing these people, that they have sickness and disease, so he began helping them and healing them. And then he realized so many of these people are illiterate and they can't read. So he began teaching them and and educating them. And through the course of all that, he became a friend to them. And as he became a friend to them, you know what happens next? He introduced them to Jesus. And they began following Jesus. And then they gave him his freedom. And what strikes me about Bruce's story, this guy who left all of this here to go there and do all this, is that he's still there. But when he left, as a 19-year-old guy with $70 to his name and a one-way ticket to South America and no clue what lie ahead, his dad, who was a prominent, successful banker and businessman, by all accounts being a super successful guy here in the U.S., his dad looked at him as Bruce was about to board the plane and said, I wish you weren't wasting your life. Rather than waste his life, Bruce found life in Jesus. And I'd say with this one brief but magnificent life he's been given, he's made it rather awesome. Now that's a great story. And that's a great turnaround story. And it's a true story. It's one of my favorite stories. It's recorded in Bruce's autobiography, Bruchko, which is one of my favorite books, if you can't tell. But that's a story unique to Bruce. And that not many of us can or will or even should do what Bruce has done. That not many of us can just pick everything up and fly into a distant place where we don't know the language and walk into a jungle or whatever, walk into a strange city and start talking to people about Jesus. Not not many of us can or should do that. Not not many of us will do that. And not many of us have the brilliant mind that Bruce has for language. Heck, most of us, as I've encountered we, we haven't even mastered our own language, let alone other languages, right? So, Bruce's story is Bruce's story, but it shouldn't be yours. So what's this mean for us? What, what does this hold for us? Because your story should be unique to you. But there is something that all our stories should have in common. That we have become enamored with the awesomeness of God and that we live for eternity instead of the things of this world. Friend, if we do that, that's the key 
to an awesome life. Because an awesome life really just means that we are living as God designed us to live. You want to have an awesome life, just live the way God designed you to live. That's what an awesome life means. It means we're living for the purpose God has given us. A purpose greater and grander than ourselves and bigger than this world. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he he wrote these words to him. He says, since you've been raised to a new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That sounds pretty awesome to me, to share in the glory of Christ when he returns. Friend, that is the key to an awesome life. An awesome life means we're living for eternity, that we're living for the things of God. Do you you know that Jesus wants you to have a full life? Jesus said, "I, I want you. He says, I came, in the next slide. He says, I came that you might have life to the fullest. Life to the fullest. Now that doesn't mean life the most comfortable or life the most pleasurable, but a full life. I'd say Bruce Olson lives a pretty full life. A life of meaning and purpose, of divine success. And God desires that for you and for me. But to do that, we, we got to know where we're going. But most of us won't just haphazardly stumble upon the full life that Jesus has for us. Do you remember Alice's adventures in Wonderland? And there's one moment where Alice is, is walking on the path and the path kind of diverges. And, and she encounters the cat there and she asks the cat, she says, pardon me, but... Could you tell me which way I ought to go? And the cat says, well, that depends on where you want to be. Well, I don't much care where, Alice says. And the cat's response, then it doesn't matter which way you go, does it? Friend, I I think too many people take an approach to life of an I don't care where approach. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of those people. If you are living to try and satisfy the cravings of this world for things from this world, it's never gonna pan out for you. See, that's just gonna be another disappointing year with disappointing days after disappointing days. You're never gonna satisfy those cravings. We gotta live for something bigger, grander, beyond this world. If you're living for the things of this world, just remember that when your brief life ends, you don't get to take it with you. I have never once, in all the times I've been with people at the end of their life, I've never once had anyone tell me, I wish I'd have spent more time chasing money or fame or notoriety or pleasure or any of that. But more times than I wish, I've had people weep on my shoulder regretting that they did not spend more time pursuing God and give more energy to loving people. Don't end with regret. Don't end with regret. See, if we are gonna do this thing, if we wanna have an awesome life, then we gotta begin with our end in mind. We gotta know where we're going. We gotta have more than an I don't care where approach to life. We gotta know where we wanna be. So friend, I want you to ask yourself over the next few days, and this is your application for you. I want you to ask yourself over the next couple days, where do I wanna end up when it's all done? How do I wanna be remembered? What do I wanna be remembered for? I want you to ask yourself this 
specific question. When my days are up, what impact do I want to leave on this world? What impact do I want to leave for eternity? Now, now we'll, we'll send those questions to you in the next couple days through email, and we'll put it on our social media so you don't have to try and remember it. But I want you to ask yourself that question. What impact do I want to make on this world and on eternity? And then design your days to pursue the answer you come up with. And I would be honored as you answer those questions and as you go through that and spend some time wrestling with that. And as you do, I would be honored if God stirs something in you, if you would share it with me. Let me know what he's up to in your life. Let me know the answers you come up with. As the apostle Paul continued to the church at Colossae, he, he said this. He says, whatever you do, whatever you say, do all of it. He leaves us no room for any excuses. All of life, everything done and said, do all of it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That means that as followers of Jesus, we will intentionally arrange and when need be, rearrange our lives to get into the presence of God more and more and more. And that's what this series is about. It's about creating habits that help us get in the presence of God, to be enamored by God, to still and quiet ourselves, to commune with others, to converse with God. And we're gonna be talking about those things in the days ahead. But here's the deal. You're either gonna do that by default or design. We live either by default or design. I wanna encourage you to, to live with an eternal perspective and then in light of that, to design your life around that perspective. I've always been struck by the approach that Bruce Olson took, even in his darkest days when he thought he was about to die. Bruce said this. He said, it probably seems bizarre to most people, but the truth is, that it never once occurred to me that it was God's responsibility to rescue me miraculously from any situation. It wasn't God's responsibility to rescue me. No, instead, I believed it was my responsibility to serve him right where I was, no matter what. It says, so every day, this was my prayer. Next slide. It says, Father, I'm alive. And I want to use this time constructively. How can I be useful to you today? Whether standing before the United Nations, dining with the president of a country, or fear that he's dying of malaria with a spear through his leg. God, how can I be useful to you? See, friend, if we will ask that question, we'll do well. Because we're either going to live by default or by design. Either way. We're going to either choose each day how we approach God by default or by design. How much we pray, how often we pray, you're either going to design that or you're just going to default to probably not doing much. How we handle our money. How we interact with others. How we talk about our faith. How we engage with the Bible. How and when and how often we worship. Either by default or design. So friend, if you want to have an awesome life, that doesn't mean you got to go try and construct some awesome experience regularly. If you will simply ask that same question that Bruce asked, God, how can I be useful to you today? Then you have the opportunity to make every day awesome. And if you'll do that every day, 
and you'll seek to make every day awesome for his glory. And then at the end of your days, when all those days stack up, I'm convinced it will add up to one awesome life. Let's pray. God, you and you alone are awesome. You and you alone are worthy of praise and honor and glory and majesty. You and you alone are worthy of our songs. And you and you alone will satisfy the deepest longings in our souls. So God, teach us not to seek out satisfaction from the things of this world, but teach us to realize the brevity of our life and to live with eternity in our souls, to live for a kingdom that is bigger than the things of this world, to live for your kingdom and your glory and the eternity we will spend with you. And God, that begins by getting right with you. And if there are none, if there's someone here today who has not done that, who has not yet encountered you and met you, surrendered to you, then God, I pray that today is the day, whether online or in this room, that today would be the day that they would surrender themselves to you. And that is the beginning of an awesome life, of a life so awesome that it's never, ever gonna end. So God, let us live for eternity. Let us live with eternity born deep in our hearts for your glory, Lord. Help us to encounter you in every day to ask, how can we be useful to you today? Because we know you'll answer and we know you'll honor us. And we know that no matter what we face, whether it's a year like 2020, or it's the best year of our life. We know that with you, it can be awesome. So hear us now as we sing, as we praise. May this song be our prayer to you, Lord. In Jesus we pray.